Car Guy Radio Show. We're traveling light today in the eye of the storm. In the eye of the storm. Home to a new and a shiny place. Make our bed and we'll say our grace. Freedom's light burning warm. Freedom's light burning warm. Freedom's light burning warm. Think about that. Freedom's light burning warm. Well, this 4th of July weekend, to quote William Wallace in Braveheart, right? What will you do with that freedom? Will you fight or will you run? Ah, you may run and someday lying in your beds, would you trade all of those days for just one chance? Just one chance to say to our enemy, you can take our lives, but you will never take our freedom. You know, America was founded on freedom. Actually, freedom from religious tyranny. Sadly, some of that religious tyranny is in you and me, (laughs) the spirit of religion. And are you willing to take a hard look into the 51st Psalm with us today on the Christian Car Guy Show and perhaps see that grace to the habitual sinner is a biblical precedent. I can assure you that if there's one thing that whips up the religious spirit, (laughs) it's grace. And I have my good friend Darren Kuhn here with us to help me. The insights that he shared into Psalm 51 just revealed so many places in my life that I personally had let the religious spirit gain ground in my life. So now, before we go a lot further... You're saying, Robbie, what in the world? Yes, this is a car show. And yes, this applies in so many different ways to your car's life and also your life. And I feel sure that'll come alive for you as we dig into that today. And I also want to mention, certainly, that ChristianCarGuy.com, that's your resource. You can find everything that we're going to, as we go into the 51st Psalm, all these things we're going to talk about, detailed notes that you can find there on some of these insights to grace and freedom. Um, Of course, you know, it's July almost, like tomorrow, and so we got the car show calendars wide open for July. You can see hundreds, literally hundreds, of car shows that you can be, if you like car shows. Oh, yeah. They're all there at christiancarguy.com as well as podcasts of all the previous shows. Um, But one of the biggest things at christiancarguy.com is, of course, the Jesus labor of love. That's car repair labor for single moms, widows, families in crisis across the country. And, you know, we have applications pouring into us every week. We're going to give you an update on some really amazing, talk about grace, like God just did some amazing stuff thanks to your prayers, your donations this week. We're going to share a little bit of that. But, of course, 
mostly today, we're going to be talking about freedom. We're going to be talking about the 51st Psalm. And, and Darren, as you set this up, you know, it's, it's about David and Bathsheba. If you're not familiar with the story, we're, we're going to get into that in a minute. But you may recall that Nathan came to David. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, is there, you know, as you're thinking about calling in today, which I always like callers, was there a story that a Nathan in your life came to you and said, you know, you got this sheep. <laughs> mm. In other words, shared your sin with you in a way that you could receive it the way Nathan received it today. But I want you to think about that maybe. And if you want to call in with any comment or question, we would love to help you today. 866-348-7884, 866-34-TRUTH for the digitally gifted. So Darren, take us there. Well, you know, I love the thought you just brought up. Has there ever been a time like that in your own life when somebody's, you know, kind of confronted you? Um, the the backstory of Nathan and David, I wish we had more there. there there's a there's enough. There, there's definitely enough. It, it appears that Nathan and David had a great relationship. Um, and yet God comes to Nathan and says, hey, Nathan, I need you to go talk to David. Now, I don't know if God gave Nathan the story or whether Nathan, knowing David well enough, thought, OK, how do I present this to David and I'm sure there was prayer involved and and I'm sure that that God helped Nathan come up with this story but you know I I remember one time a friend of mine who I had no doubt in my mind I don't know that I could have articulated it at the time but I had no doubt in my mind that he loved me and that he wanted the best for me however it was really hard for me to remember that when he looked at me one time and said, you're arrogant, Darren. And I went, huh? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't even know that I knew what arrogant meant at the time. I think I had to go home and look up the definition. But um, he was right. I was. But boy, was it hard to take. Had he been a prophet like Nathan and been able to understand not just what God wanted me to hear, but maybe how God wanted me to hear it. And maybe that is how God wanted me to hear it. Right. But. I, I love the fact that Nathan goes through this little story with David. He knows David's not going to handle this well according to how he presents it. And, and he presents it in a, in a super godly way. And obviously, um, David does repent. But this has been going on, as you and I were talking about before the show, it's been going on for a few months, it appears. Right. That David and Bathsheba... You know, the incident must have happened nine months before Nathan comes, because by this time, according to the Bible, between Second Samuel 11 and 12, the baby's been born. Mm-hmm. And Uriah's dead, mm-hmm. and, which is Bathsheba's husband. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole lot of sin been going on for a whole lot of time. Right. And so here comes the religious spirit question that I have to ponder and you may ponder. Is if you were David's enemy or even his friend, and but you struggled with his politics, you struggled with something that was going on, and you watched this go on for nine months, this guy taking this other man's wife, and you knew the intimate details of all that had gone on, would you, seriously, really, look in your own heart, would you question his salvation? Mm-hmm. Would you say, well, that guy can't be a Christian, not an act like that, not for this length of time, that could never happen. It's pretty easy to draw that parallel in today's culture, too. Oh, yeah. It's very easy. 
um, whether you're just a subject in the kingdom or whether you were David's buddy, uh, if you were a subject in the kingdom and didn't necessarily like David's politics, it's super easy to draw that with our leaders today. Right. I mean, it, it you you question their salvation. You, you get, grab a group of leaders and toss them up in a hat. You're going to pull several out that have taken another man's wife. <laughs> yeah, um, right sad. there, you know. And uh, and you're going to have about as many that claim to be Christians. And so what do we do with that? Now, again, that's not really the focus of, of the show of what we do with our politicians. But but I think that's a great parallel. And it's a great question to ask us about our own kids or people that we see in our life that are caught up in habitual sin. And I think this is going to be really hopeful as, as Darren takes us through this. For those of us who wonder about those kind of things. Is the religious spirit convicting you the wrong way about what's really going on? But diving into it, mm-hmm. well, it starts out with David telling the story. Yeah, I, you know, David. Obviously, Nathan comes to David and he begins to talk to David about it. And then David, when he does finally decide that, hey, uh, I not only need to repent, I want to repent. And so David comes to God, and this is his prayer, literally, of repentance. Um, it's, it's in line with Psalm 32. It's in line with, uh, second Samuel 11 and second Samuel 12. If, if you want to go to those places and study it, but, but David starts out and he says, have mercy on me. O God. And the word that he uses for God there is Elohim, which is used 50 times in the first four chapters of Genesis. And I don't think it's coincidental that David uses the term synonymous with the God who creates. And so he's saying, basically, look, God, I'm not so sure about this, but I think that you're going to have to create in me something. You're going to have to have mercy on me, and your mercy is going to demand that you be a creator again. Um, And and you're going to have to create in me a clean heart, which he'll get to later on in the psalm. But I don't think it's a coincidence that David does that. And then he says, according to your unfailing love. So he's not saying, hey, you know, because I've repented now or anything like that. And then on down through there, he talks about the great compassion that God's going to have for him or going to have to have for him. And so we'll get to that. Yeah, compassion in a second. But in the meantime, don't forget our number. If you want to call in and and comment, 866-348-7884, 866-34-TRUTH. We're going to find out so much more about cleansing coming up. Yes, they were coming to America. Of course, they were driving Plymouth. That's one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in there. But it, they were coming to America for freedom. And you may be thinking, Robbie, what does the 51st Psalm have to do with freedom? You may really, you know, mm-hmm. where is freedom involved in that? Well, poor David was in some serious bondage. And 
the amount of favor that God used, the amount of grace in order to pull him that you would have thought, you know, here's a guy, murder, adultery, pretty bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Where where does he find freedom in that? And, and the answer is grace. And we're going to get to a lot of that in a minute, but we want you to see that this is a car show because I'm going to bet that when you stop favoring your car, right, Darren, mm-hmm. you trade it. When it's when it's not worth it anymore, it's so broken that, you know, it's adultered on me. It's 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 all this stuff, and, you know, it's time for a new model. You know, I remember all the cars that I don't have anymore that I wished I still had. A 65 Barracuda Commando. Oh, you, wow, really? Had a 65 Barracuda Commando package. My dad sold that out from under me because... I had, before I had a driver's license, I borrowed my sister's pickup and I took it out for a joyride and I totaled it. And uh, so dad didn't have a lot of grace for me at that point in time. He actually <laughs> did. He didn't kill me. That was grace. But but he did sell my Barracuda to help me understand the ramifications of my sin. There you go. And And listening to that story, I bet many of you like me have this turning in your intestines they call that compassion right yes you know i mean (laughs) that uh the compassion that i have for other people who have gotten themselves in those situations is is real i can i can feel it it's it's compassion and empathy are not the exact same thing but they definitely come from the same place and so david says in psalm 51 god according to your great compassion can you do this for me, create in me a clean heart and blot out my transgressions, which we're going to get to here in just a second. But the word compassion that he uses there is literally a gut-wrenching feeling. It's it's that your gut is twisted. You know that feeling. When you see somebody hurting, whether it's because of sin of their own or someone else's sin uh, that, that affects them or, or just an illness even, but your gut is wrenching inside you you feel it that's what god is saying is compassion and it's the same exact word that that the subtuagent uses um there to compare to mark 140 uh mark 141 where the leper says to jesus you know you could heal me if you would heal me and it says that jesus is filled with compassion Meaning Jesus knows what it's like to be a leper. Was he a leper? No. But he knows what it's like to be an outcast. He knows what it's like to be pushed aside. He knows what it's like to not be counted as the in crowd. He understands exactly what this leper's going through. And he reaches out, filled with compassion, and he touches the leper and he heals him. And so this is the word that David is using there. Now, when he says, blot out my transgression, that starts getting a little more personal. Now, it is that God has this gut-wrenching feeling, but the blotting out is literally a picture of, of God rubbing and scrubbing and wiping away the sin. So this is not taking your car to the automatic car wash. All right. I mean, this is like, if you look at ChristianCarGuy.com, you're going to see a picture of an opal that was literally cut in half. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take great favor. It's going to, you're going to have to love opals if you're going to want to restore this thing. And, and that's kind of a picture of the kind of restoration that, 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 that David's looking for. Yeah, my dad and I cut a Vega wagon in half one time and welded it back together to put a new um, rear clip on it. 
and uh, that takes a lot of work. And a I, lot of favor. You got to really want that Vega to, Vega to run. But. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so David is saying, I need a serious blotting here. But I yep. love this, this the washing thing. You got to tell us about the washing. Well, it, it, when when David says blot out my transgression, the the word transgression, he's talking about um, going beyond boundaries and. But these are big boundaries. These literally, this is as if uh, in war, someone crosses the boundary of another country and takes property by force. And so David is literally saying, I have taken what was not mine by force. And he did. He, he murdered Uriah. He murdered Bathsheba's husband. And then when in verse two, when he says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, He's envisioning a lot of work on someone's part. The The terminology that he's using there is much like uh, an Israelite woman going down to clear water, uh, finding a stream with a rocky bottom, clear water, and taking and, and putting their clothes into the stream and completely engulfing the clothes in the stream. Submerging would be a good word. Submerging. <laughs> Under and trampling underfoot is part of the terminology here. And so David is saying, God, you're going to have to trample me underfoot. You're going to have to use a lot of physical prowess and go to a lot of trouble to this find a way to clean me up. Yeah, this is, but it's a beautiful picture almost it of is. baptism of going under the water and being stomped under there t- to get you clean. Yeah. And so it, it is literally a, a baptism, if you will, that David is talking about. And, and the reason he's, he's so adamant about this is because he's saying in verse 3, he says, look, my sin is always before me. You know, every time he looks at Bathsheba, he sees the dead Hittite. Every time he looks at the baby, he sees, you know, his, his sin with Bathsheba. And the, and the baby's not doing well it appears. Um, maybe he knows Uriah's brothers or sisters. I, I don't know. But when he looks at you know Uriah's family, perhaps he sees his sin because Uriah's not there anymore. And, and for those of us that, that have ever been caught into a habitual sin, and, and say you, like you and I were both caught up in pornography, when mm-hmm. you go to see your wife after you you know, everything's in front of you, and everybody reminds you of that which you're, you're involved in and, mm-hmm. and been caught up. But grace. Oh, yes, we got to talk about grace. We got so much grace coming up. You got to stay tuned. We'd love to hear from you. 866 34 Truth. 866 348 7884. We're traveling light today. In the eye of the storm. In the eye of the storm Home To a new and a shiny place Make our bed and we'll say our grace Freedom's light burning warm Freedom's light burning warm We are talking freedom today on the Christian Car Guy Show this Fourth of July weekend. We celebrate the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And that's what David was looking forward to. <laughs> a yeah. little independence from his situation. And maybe a car has got something going on where it would really like a little independence too. Um, we're going to get to all that in a minute. And, and with compassion. Um, and the compassion that David is counting on that he feels God has for him 
and uh, he has for you. Uh, those of us who have ever been caught up in habitual sin of any kind understand that that's a really, really difficult place. And so that is the place, unfortunately, for so many of our Jesus labor love uh, applicants, that they've made choices in their life often that has, have led to them being carless, if not homeless. And um, a really wonderful praise this week. I got a call from a social worker who was trying to help a mom who was coming out of a domestic violence situation. Mm. And she'd been in it for a long, long time. She had a baby 18 months old. Mm -hmm. And as you might imagine, her husband <clears throat> made sure that she had no transportation to leave. Mm -hmm. But she got out. And she was under that protection. But now the social worker is trying to see if the Jesus labor love could help her. And interestingly, it, 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 <laughs> I sometimes just blows my mind. You know, I have a waiting list for cars that's phenomenal. But sometimes the donors for cars have very specific things they want in order to give away a car. Mm. And so just same week, coincidentally, in God's timing, I had a donor with a very specific requirements in order to give their car away, which happened to be a 2001 Lexus. Very nice car belonged to a doctor. Mm. So how wonderful that the only person I had on my list happened to be this mom coming out of this abusive situation and I just saw God meet that need. And I know the reason is, is your prayers, my prayers, and the compassion that God has for this woman and, and her situation. Because for years, she obviously let that happen, which would have been easy to condemn. You might even have doubted her salvation. I can see that. But God had other plans. Mm. He had plans for grace. And in her seeing that in the tears is, is, is something that's unbelievable. He also had grace for us. As, as I got off the air last week, I got a call from a, a widow who um, had lost her husband, who was a mechanic, and she was setting up a memorial for the Jesus labor love in his honor. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And said, I want his life as a car mechanic to mean something. Huh. And, and, and so, you know, we're telling people that, you know, want to give flowers or whatever to give to the Jesus labor of love. That's car repair for single moms, widows, and families in crisis, which I also know is a result of all your prayers and, and the support that we receive for this ministry. But I do have a prayer request for you um, on this line. God keeps putting it on my heart. Robbie, you need more help. You're a one-man band when it comes to the actual application of the Jesus labor of love. I have a lot of people repair cars. I don't have anybody to help me with the applications or to help me with donations and those kind of things. So actually, God put it on my heart today that he wants two people. He wants one person to help raise money. Mm. And he wants one person to help me with applications. And so I just ask that you pray for that. Not that you volunteer. Of course, if God puts it on your heart, by all means, go to Jesus Labor Love there at ChristianCarGuy.com and fill out the form to volunteer. I'd love to talk to you. But more than that, just pray that God would send that person. Mm -hmm. Um because, you know, I'd really like this ministry to outlive me. I'd like it to be something that, that God really took, you know, and... and, and, and Which you're pretty people. old, so the chances of that <laughs> happening are pretty phenomenal well, okay, at this point. let's get back to compassion here. You okay. Better, so here we were, David, you know, he's... <laughs> he needs some compassion. He's asking to be washed. But we know that feeling, don't we, David? I mean, dear. Yeah, you know, um, so... I grew up as a quote unquote New Testament Christian, and you probably lots of people have heard those terms. and And I had heard about grace, hadn't probably understood it very well. 
but had heard grace and um, and, a, and a good dose of legalism uh, thrown in together, which is oxymoronic, but unfortunately it's reality in, in most of our lives, quite frankly. Um, we are often very legalistic with ourselves as well as with others. Um, and uh, we don't even realize it. And, and I'm not saying that in a, in a condemning way. I'm just saying that, that God uses all sorts of different things to open our eyes to uh, our own bondage. And uh, so when I first discovered Psalm 51, I was a young uh, preacher in a church and uh, was preaching, you know, four times a week and uh, teaching Bible classes constantly and and home Bible studies and all sorts of different things. And when I was a very young man, um, I had really struggled with pornography before I even really knew it was a sin. Um, And I know that's hard to imagine, but but that's kind of the way it is. I was sexually abused when I was a, a little boy when from probably the time I was four or five years old up until maybe eight or ten somewhere in that neighborhood by a couple of older uh, family members and uh, um, not in my immediate family but in in my uh not so immediate family. Not so immediate family, yeah. <laughs> so extended family. Um, but anyway, that being said, didn't understand all of that, lived in shame because of that, and uh, really struggled through that um, as, a, as a young uh, adolescent and a young adult, and had gone to seminary, had put this behind me, um, so I thought, and... Uh, was living in a very legalistic world in a fairly legalistic church environment. Um, and again, I'm not talking bad about those people, wonderful, loving people. there, just caught up in legalism, just like everybody else I know. And so all of that being said, I found myself struggling with that pornography addiction again. And uh, it was a lot harder back then. That was before the days of the Internet. Um, It's a whole lot easier today to be addicted to that sort of thing. But at that point, I found myself struggling with it. And as I began to read through this psalm, what rocked my world was not so much David saying, have mercy on me and all of those things. But I literally stood in the pulpit every week preaching, thinking that I was lost because I was stuck I was struggling with the sin and some weeks I did really well other weeks I didn't do so well some months I did really well some other months I didn't do really well and so struggling through that I literally was living what felt like a double life and I'm sure that that's exactly what David was feeling as well if you read Psalm 32 you definitely know that that he was depressed Um, that he felt his bones being crushed within him because of his depression. And so when when, uh, David says in in Psalm 51, 10, and 11, uh, and, and 12, what those three verses begin to rock my world, because he says, create in me a pure heart. And so, again, he's using the term Elohim when he talks to God here, And he is talking about a God who can create a new heart. 
and renew a steadfast spirit. So he's not saying you got to create a new spirit. It's just that my spirit is not very steadfast right now. But you're going to have to create a clean heart in me, God, in order to even allow that steadfast spirit to work. And then he says in verse 11, and this is what really rocked my world, because here I am, a young preacher, caught up in sin, struggling with that, and he says in verse 11, do not cast me from your presence. Wait, so David hadn't been cast from God's presence yet? That's the implication. And then he says, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Wait, what, what do you mean don't take your Holy Spirit from me? I, I firmly believed that not only was God turning his face away from me because he was so ashamed of me, despised me, another term that David uses here, but he had obviously taken his Holy Spirit from me as well. And so here I am living a very powerless life and a, a double life, feeling as lost as the day is long, and I come across Psalm 51. And it pretty much rocked my world because I began to think, no, wait a minute, maybe, maybe, just maybe, there's hope for me. Wow. Powerful stuff. That grace that is God's favor on David in spite of the fact that obviously he was cut nearly in half like the opal at ChristianCarGuy.com. Mm. We're going to find out how to maybe get that car put back together. <laughs> we got one more segment. Would love your call, 866-348-7884. Amazing Grace. As uh, Richie Kingsmore and Stu Epperson's uh, Last Words of Jesus CD, that's where that comes from. I, I just love that rendition and the bagpipes. Yeah. Because you, you know the words, uh, but it's more than amazing. And, 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 and it's more than amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That here was David, the guy who wrote the 23rd Psalm. The guy had this relationship with God. How could he fall so far? How could this possibly happen? And how could God not turn his back on much is given, much is required? You mean to tell me God loved David in spite of all this sin? His Holy Spirit was still with him. He was still had his face turned towards him. In fact, he had high favor. He was all about coming after David to the point that he sent Nathan. Yeah, I mean, obviously God hadn't given up on David or he wouldn't have sent Nathan um, unless it was just about, uh, you know, the passion for the nation of Israel, and I don't, I don't believe that's true. Obviously, that's part of it, but I think it's also the passion, the compassion for David's heart and David's soul. And, you know, verse 12 goes on to say, restore to me the joy of your salvation. It doesn't say restore to me your salvation, Robbie. It says the joy of your salvation. So David is, is again confirming, you know what? I might be saved, but I don't feel very saved right now, and I cannot experience any joy in my salvation because of this. And then he says, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And and 
all of the different things david's already said god you're my judge you know whatever you decide here is is up to you he says that i think in in verse four and and then he then he begins to talk about once you've restored this joy i won't be able to keep my mouth shut he says i'll I'll then teach transgressors your way I'll, i'll show people that are just like me and and the word that he uses so that sinners will turn back to you. The word that he uses for sinners there is often used for habitual sin. David knows what habitual sin is like. It's easy for us to forgive somebody, I find, when they come to me and they say, you know what, Darren, I I blew it. I I sinned in this way. It's even easier when it's not a sin against me. If if you come to me, Robbie, and say, you know, Darren, I, 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 you know, got stupid this last week and and i did this thing and i'm so ashamed of it and it's easy for me to have grace for you there now when you do that thing to me and hurt me it's it's much harder for me and we we talked about you know i mean this is a car show and having grace for that old car that's been giving you a lot of trouble and you finally decide you know what i'm just tired of this old thing i just don't have the grace for it anymore and that's probably not the way you say it but i'm going to go trade it in i'm going to get rid of it i'm going to sell it i'm going to park it out back whatever well we do that with our friends too when our friends sin on us over and over break down on us over and over um, cause us to go to extra go the extra mile to help them through something over and over we eventually get to that broke down place ourselves and we say you know what i just don't have the energy i don't have the grace for this friendship anymore and thankfully god didn't do that with david and he's not doing that with you either well we have ken is in colfax north carolina ken you're on the christian car guy show what you got for us well, I was just listening to you, guess, and I I would like to address him as pastor, but I can't think pre- preacher, but I can't think of his name right now. But uh, in in no way am I trying to justify what uh, David did. But you know, I've heard so many people beat him up. You know, it says it was at a time when kings went to battle and he stayed home. Well, prior to that, they were uh, he was in battle and it was an intense battle, and. Lo and behold, he comes up upon another giant. And, uh, you know, David's got some age on him. You know, he may have thought, you know, well, God delivered me from the barren line and the Goliath and all of those things. But anyway, it didn't go well. The giant was prevailing, and one of his men stepped in and killed that giant. And after that, his, uh, I can't remember if it was Jehu, who, ever who was, you know, captain of his army they told him not to come back out into battle that he needed to stay you know they would take care of it you know more or less and you know you think about the emotional uh position that david was in here he is his men's out fighting and it wasn't just his choice to uh stay at home i believe his heart was to go with his men i mean it seems kind of Ironic, you know, when he had Uriah killed, but because Uriah was one of the, the 300 mighty men. Of, and, um, but I think about what uh, your guest did say about, you know, things are in stages. You know, we got this thing and we, we're dealing with it and we go through a depression and all this, and then God steps in and 
Yeah, that's you know, phenomenally yeah. insightful, Ken. I, I can yeah. tell you. I I thoroughly enjoyed I appreciate you bringing that up Ken because ultimately I think what you've brought up is that David might have bought into an, an agreement that some other folks had you know maybe Satan is spinning a yarn for his leaders and saying you know David you're getting old you you probably better stay home yeah. and David buys into the agreement perhaps and what better way for a for a man who's been told he's past his prime uh, we know it in society. That's what sexual addiction is all about. It's it's yep. about proving yeah. that yeah. I'm young enough, I'm virile enough, all of those things. That's part of it anyway. And so, you know, and again, that's not making an excuse for David at all. But no, once you buy into those agreements that are not true about you and start believing something that is not the truest thing about right. you, right. you can easily fall. That is awesome. Ken, thank you. God bless you, man. I appreciate you. Always. God bless you. <laughs> thank you, Ken. Bye-bye. Thanks, I Ken. might call you next hour. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. I hope you do. Well, we got to bring it home a little bit, Darren. We don't have a whole lot of time. I wish we had another hour we could spend just on the conclusion of this psalm, but well, if you find yourself in that situation, some sort of habitual sin, you can white-knuckle it all day long, and you might succeed. I've white-knuckled it before, and I did succeed for a while. Me too. However, the one thing, and I don't want you to, to, to leave this psalm behind, um, God says through David, inspired here, I don't delight in the sacrifice. You can try really hard, and you can you can be as sinless as you can possibly be. You can do all the right things. You can even make right whatever you've done wrong, and and that's all good. However, that's not what I take pleasure in, and and so that's what he's basically saying when he says, "Look, I if you delighted in sacrifices, I would bring it, but you don't." And then he says, "My sacrifice, God." is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And the word for broken there is the same word that Isaiah uses when he talks about the ministry of Jesus being that of one who comes to bind up the broken heart. So it's the the Hebrew word shabar. And so he's saying a, a broken heart, one that's been shattered, one that's been wrecked, to go back to the car analogy, the wrecked heart is what David is saying, is that is what God accepts, and that's what God appreciates. And then he says the contrite heart, which is a little different than the broken heart. The contrite is the exact opposite of the arrogant or the puffed up. And so it's a heart that has nothing left in it. There's no air. There's no arrogance. There's no puffiness there anymore. That God despises. But the heart that's the opposite of that, God refuses to despise. And therein is freedom. When you get to that place, which is blessed are the poor in spirit mm-hmm. in so many different ways. I'm yep. so grateful that you listened to us today on the Christian Car Guy Show. Hope you take this freedom and grace to your families, to your homes, to your church, to your country as we celebrate freedom this 4th of July weekend. God bless. Remember, slow down. Jesus walked everywhere he went. <laughs> Got it all done in 33 years. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>